Well, we continue our series today, A Stranger Christmas, and this has been a really good series. I hope you've been getting lots out of it. In the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about angelic messengers, and Pastor Dave was uh, talking about that. And then last week, he was talking about evil and darkness. And we see from the uh, nativity story, the Christmas story, the involvement of both the angels and evil and darkness. And today, we're going to talk about uh, creation. Now, you might say it's easy to see creation uh, in the Christmas story. There's the uh, the cattle and the um, the sheep and the the donkey that and the uh, the ox and uh, that are mentioned. And interestingly enough, and I have my little nativity set here today. There's no mention of camels. We would just assume that um, uh, the kings who uh, went to visit the child. Uh, rode on camels. And so we can sort of take them out of the picture here because uh, it's just sheep that are mentioned that are part of the nativity story. Uh, some might argue that plants are involved because of the uh, manger that the uh, Jesus was laid in, the wooden manger and even the wooden stable. But in actuality, it's uh, very possible that it was actually a stone trough that was there, a feeding trough that uh, was used as the manger. And it's even more possible that it was actually in a cave that Mary and Joseph went to when there was no room in the inn uh, for them to find. And some might say, well, there was the three ships. I, you know, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day. And again, sorry, that is not in the Christmas story. Uh, another part of creation that you would say, well, uh, Al, this is in the Christmas story is, is humanity. There's uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth and, and John the Baptist as a baby that who's uh, brought into the world. And obviously Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and, the, and Herod and uh, obviously baby Jesus. And then there's the three wise men and maybe the little drummer boy. And uh, again today... We're not even sure that it was a three wise men because there's no mention of three. We only know that three gifts are brought um, and we're not really sure how many wise men there actually were. And sorry, there actually was no little drummer boy that is mentioned in there. You might say today, well, Al, isn't uh, humanity the important part of the Christmas story? And, and it is an important part, but even more so. Uh, is the God-man, which uh, Pastor Dave is going to talk about next week, the Christ child, and share a little bit more about how that happened. I want to challenge you a little bit today to think about this. One of the elements of creation on day one was the creation of light. And light actually plays a big role in the Christmas story. Uh, in Isaiah 9, 2 and 6, Isaiah gives this prophecy, and we're familiar with it around the Christmas time, season, because it says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These, that uh, prophecy continues. But then in Luke chapter 1, uh, which is the beginning of the account of the uh, Christmas story, Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, uh, gives this prophecy after John is born and says in Luke 1, 76 to 78, because of God's tender mercy, listen to this, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death 
and to guide us to the path of peace. What is really intriguing about this is that John sort of helps us to understand that this is not just light in the sense of God creating light. It's actually speaking about a person. Because John says, listen to this, in the beginning, the word already existed. This is our passage to ponder. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything, listen to this, that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, And we have seen his glory, John says, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And John there is helping us uh, to understand that in the Christmas story, the light is Jesus coming into the world. But it's also light that's part of the uh, Christmas story, and I want to focus today on, is the story of the Magi. And we find that account in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And I want us to look at it, we're going to read it, and as we look at it, See how uh, creation speaks through it in, to us today, and then we'll draw some application after that. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, beginning verse, read it, verse 1, says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Sometime up to two years even after Jesus was born, after the birth, these mystery men, these uh, non-Jewish sages, or they could have been Persian priests or even astrologers, stargazers, we know that because they come there because of the star. And they're possibly from Babylonia or even Arabia, and they show up in Jerusalem. And they begin asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star. This star which beamed light and they would be uh, most likely have studied the stars and saw this suddenly this new star that beamed light and they were drawn to it. And somehow through that, and we're not even sure how, they had some realization that this was uh, a star representing this newborn king of the Jews. They've been influenced by messianic expectation in some way. Uh, In that area, they would have thought, well, this is a sign of the Messiah. And so they went to Jerusalem because it was the place of Jewish worship. And when they get there, they begin to ask, where is the newborn king? This was not just a natural occurrence. Something supernatural led them to Jerusalem to search for the king. Well, King Herod, who was the king of the Jews in a sense at that time, placed in authority by the Romans, was deeply disturbed when he heard this, it says, and as everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. 
Now you have to imagine everyone in Jerusalem is nervous when these mystery men come along and begin asking about the king of the Jews because they understand Herod, he's not good with this. He's a jealous king and he's, he's one who is plagued by fear of his rivals and being placed in authority because he wasn't born as a Jew, placed in authority by the Romans, he's feeling threatened. And as we learned last week from Pastor Dave, evil lurked in his heart and would later lead to him executing the order of killing the babies of Bethlehem who were two years old and under. It passed, the Matthew continues, Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then they, he told them, Go to Bethlehem. Search carefully for the child. You can almost hear him saying this in a sinister voice. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And we know that was never his intent. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Interesting. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. It literally guided them there. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Again, this was a supernatural phenomena that this star guided them to the child so they could worship him. God was literally interrupting the natural order of creation so that he could reveal something extraordinary. And as the, as the Matthew says here, when they arrived, they opened the treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts worthy of a king. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. See, this Christmas story includes parts of creation, but interestingly enough, the parts of creation that working, specifically, I want to focus on the Magi story, the, the creation works outside the natural laws of the universe. And this becomes a problem for us. In, in, in fact, it causes us to miss hearing the true message of what happens in this story. See, oftentimes we read this and we think to ourselves, this is just an embellished tale passed down of this star that actually, you know, shone and guided these wise men to the Christ child. And because we think of it as this embellished tale, we discredit it and, and we miss what it's saying. And, we, and sadly, I think when it comes to creation, which we're going to focus on here now, we miss what creation is trying to tell us and speak to us about. See, in our postmodern minds, I, we, when we think about creation speaking, there's two things that, I, that we feel that creation is saying to us. One is this. The first is that we, we are the center of the universe. As humans, we, we are the focal point of the story. We are, we are the focal point of the universe. And, and, and because we want to do things our own way, we, we are self-made people. We are the center of the universe. And that everything else in creation revolves around us and it's for our benefit. 
And I think when we think in those terms, we're sort of like the child who on Christmas morning has many gifts and, and sort of spoiled in a little bit. And I know that happens a lot at Christmas and that's okay. But oftentimes they open all of these gifts and you've probably experienced this. And after opening them all, they have this a bit of a, almost a letdown because they begin to get grumpy and cranky. And, and in our, watching this child, you think to yourself, what is wrong with you? You have all of these things that have been given to you and now you don't want to share them and you're, you're being miserable. But isn't that a reflection of us as humanity when we think that we are the center of the universe? I like what Tim Keller says. He says, each of us wants the world to orbit around us and our needs and our desires. We do not want to serve God or our neighbor We want them to serve us. And each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. I think the other mindset that we have is that we are just a part of the universe. We minimize ourselves. We devalue human life from the fetus to the aged. And we value the other parts of creation, sometimes even more than humanity. And we become nihilists, which means we have, life has no meaning. Stephen Hawking, the great scientist, cosmologist, said this. He said, the human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet orbiting around a very average star in the outer suburb of one among a hundred billion galaxies. We are so insignificant insignificant, that I can't believe the whole universe exists for our benefit. That would be like saying that you would disappear if I closed my eyes. This idea that we are just a part of the universe, that we come and we go and life has no meaning. I want us, though, to focus a little bit closer on creation because I think it has something to say to us. And I don't want to miss what it's really saying to us. I think it's saying these uh, few things. One is this. Creation is telling us that there is a God. Psalm, one, uh, sorry, Psalm 19 verse 1 to 4 says this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word And their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all of the world. You only need to go out for a walk in nature or look up into the heavens and and try to grasp and imagine the universe to recognize that it's screaming at us, there is a greater being. When we think about it, you go for a walk and you see, you know, wildlife, you see the, the trees that are there or the plants that are growing and, and, and the ecosystems and all that's taking place. And if you've been to, to other uh, places in the world and, or maybe you live there and you're watching, all of us have different environments and the, the intricacy of the ecosystems and, and all of it scream at us that there is a God, a greater being than us. I think creation is also speaking to us and trying to tell us 
that there is a knowable creator. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this, Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, look at this, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I think if you and I are willing to look a little deeper into nature and into, uh, into the universe, we can discover the master planner, the one who, who created things, as I talked about, light, brought light into the world. And when he introduces light, it's life. Life can't survive without light. And in the same way, we can't survive without the true light, as we've heard about, which is Jesus in our lives. And we'll talk more about that later. I think creation also is saying to us, there is redemption. Romans chapter 8, verse 19, uh, 22 says this, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. And we know that took place in, in the garden. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from decay and death. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That nature is growing, that the uh, groaning, that the universe is, is screaming out is evident if, when we see all of the environmental change that's happening and, 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 and we're looking for things and we, and waste and, or even uh, blaming ourselves for that. And it's very likely true part of that. But I think it's a reflection too that creation and nature in the universe is groaning. It longs to be redeemed. It longs to be renewed. It longs to return to the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2 of, of creation. And we, and we know as we read the story and read the Bible, that in the end, creation will be renewed with the new heavens and the new earth. But it's groaning for it. How much more, if we really admit it to ourselves, are we longing for redemption? Are we longing for grace? Are we longing for, for these bodies of all things to be redeemed and made new because we know we're experiencing death and decay all the time? Uh, aches and pains that come as the older we get and sickness and health issues and all the different things that are happening. We groan in a sense to be redeemed, but not just on the outside, on the inside. We know that something is missing. Well, creation is also speaking to us today, I think very specifically, and we can learn from it. And this is sort of our application of what we do with this, what we've talked about today. And the first is this. You and I were created to worship. If we really admit it, we're always looking for something to worship. Something greater than us, or at times even we begin to worship ourselves and when we think of ourselves as the center of the universe. But this has always been humanity is being worshipers. We know the stories of ancient gods that, that people looked to the sun and the moon and made them gods to be worshipped, to appease, to be appeased. 
we talk about Mother Nature, you know, and say, you know, we we had the storm. Mother Nature is is uh, you know coming back on us and bringing this storm, or it's shining on us. Mother Nature is giving us a great day today. Or sometimes we talk about the universe and we talk about. Uh, I'm going to put this out to the universe and then the universe will send something back, good back to me because I'm, I'm putting it out there or, or the universe has a plan that it's working out. Or at times it's even, we think about worshipers, it's celebrities or influencers. But we miss when we stop there with, with people and even with creation and nature and the universe and other things that we make to be God's things that we worship in our lives, we miss the one by settling for these things. And sometimes when I hear people talk about, I'm going to put this out to the universe, or, or I, I saw nature and it's sort of the thing that I can see that's the greatest element, I think to myself, you are one step away. If you would just go one step further beyond creation, beyond the things, and look for the one who made those things. Look for the one who made the universe, because he is the one that we were created to worship. And it's evident that he's there. I think also the other application we have is that you and I were created to live by faith. You might say, well, no, I, I I I need proof of everything. Well, think about this. We put faith in things and people all the time, don't we? In manufacturers and materials and in, in laws of the universe and scientific absolutes. You know, if I, if I take um, the Jesus figurine and it's ceramic, I have an expectation that if I throw him up, and he's, that he's going to come down. But not just that, he's going to shatter on the ground because the laws of, of science and dynamics are that it's going to, this material is softer than the floor that it's going to hit, and there's a very good chance it could break. We think of, we have faith in those laws all the time. And when I placed my computer on here today, I had faith that, that this was going to hold up my computer, and it wasn't just going to fall apart as soon as I put any weight on it, and, or if I jumped up on this, and I'm not going to do that today. But I'd be having faith that it's not going to fall, and I'm not going to hurt myself. We put faith in things all of the time. And yes, sometimes people let us down or things fail us. And we adapt our faith, don't we? We work through those things. I think faith in God is one of the things just as much that we can believe in. Because it's faith in the one who made all of these things that literally holds the universe together. And even if our minds can't imagine that or we don't, we're not willing to accept it, it doesn't change the reality of what's really true. And what we, and my question, I guess, in thinking about this, when we think about that we were created to live by faith, what have we got to lose by choosing to put our faith in God? That's the question. Well, some would respond to that. Well, I, if I put faith in God, if I, if I believe that there is a God, that means that I have, to, I have to change. I have to live differently. I have to take what he says as truth and, and, and respond to it. And sometimes we're not willing to do that. It's easier for us to believe that God doesn't exist so that we can live to our, to, for ourselves and how we want 
to live. But we were made to live by faith. And lastly, you and I were created to reflect the Creator's image. God made us. And when we acknowledge that we are made in the Creator's image or God's image, we recognize that we have the opportunity to reflect His character and to represent Him to the world around us. We have the opportunity to help others move towards God, towards belief in Him, towards relationship with Him. Think about this. If whatever concept you may have of God and how He acts and who He is, doesn't you think it can, can have an impact if, if I choose to follow Him and I choose to believe Him? And whatever you think He's like, if I say, no, He's not like that, and let me show you how, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you today with no strings attached. That is going to break down that misconception of who God is. Uh, very practically, how I act as a husband towards my wife reflects the Creator's image. If I love her unconditionally, I'm reflecting the unconditional love of God. When it comes to my kids, how I, how I parent as a dad, how I treat them, how I respond to them when, when they make mistakes and I have to correct them, but, but I choose to do it in love because I care about them, that I want them to, to survive, to succeed in life. How I treat uh, my friends, how I, how I respond to my neighbor, whether they, they do good things to me or even treat me awfully. And my neighbors don't. I have great neighbors. But however they choose, I have this opportunity to reflect the Creator's image to them. And it continues on as I'm a son and, and a pastor and how I treat people and, and etc. You and I were created to reflect the Creator's image. With all of that in mind today, I think this requires some response from us. Uh, I would challenge you in, to think about this today. If you uh, struggle with believing in God, what have you got to lose by saying, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me? I, I think creation clearly makes it true, but if you're wrestling with that, if you're struggling, why not ask? Why not say, God, would you reveal yourself to me and help me in my life? Show yourself to me. And you just might meet the one who created you. Uh, maybe you struggle with faith, faith in God, faith in, because of, in, in the church or in, uh, in Christianity or what all of that means. You may wrestle with that. I would challenge you today to really think about that. What have you got to lose by putting your faith in God? And the last part is I would challenge you to help others to move closer to Him, to realize that you have the opportunity to represent Him to the people around you every day. Don't miss what creation is saying to us as it introduces us to the God who made us. Let me pray for you today. Father, thank you for those watching today. God, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them. 
I pray that even as they may go outside today at some point or may look outside and, and look around at creation, I pray that there would come an, uh, almost a uh, supernatural moment for them of realizing that there is a master planner and that it's you and that you love them and have a plan for them. I pray you would speak to them, reveal yourself to them. I pray that you would produce faith in them like only you can do. And that God, I pray that we would recognize the opportunity to represent you to the world around us. Help us to do that well and to spread the good news about who you really are and your love for all humanity. In Jesus' name, amen.